Good morning. It's bloody howling this morning. Broom. So the crack was, we'd just got off a yacht at Cable Beach and uh, David dropped us off. Everyone's happy. Um, Dave went back to his boat. And I just want to personally thank Dave again for giving us the opportunity because it's one of the best things I've ever done. And Dave, actually, when he sailed around the world, he said that that was probably the best sailing he'd ever done across the entire globe. So, yeah, very special. And a couple of things. We did jump in the ocean one day out to sea. We jumped off the mid mid gunnels like halfway down and uh, up the back ladder one day another day Dave had to swim to dislodge the anchor it got stuck under a rock ledge like 30 meters down or something 20 meters down yeah about 20 meters down and he had to swim all the way down and dislodge it and one day we were in the dinghy and we saw this beautiful box jellyfish sailing past the dinghy just floating past they're like, a, as the name suggests, they're like a translucent box trailing these up to 30 foot long um, tentacles. Sort of like a bluish purpley tinge, like translucent. About as big as, come on, think of something. Oh, Jake. What? As big, <laughs> I don't know how big it was. It's like as big as like if you made a hand, a box out of your hands. That's how big it would be. Um, okay, so Okay, we ain't rolling We're walking barefoot Through the red dust We're walking up off Cable Beach And um, there's red dirt roads Bryce barefoot carrying the tent, carrying our pannier bags, cutting into our hands, and um, Bryce sticks his thumb out when this ute goes past, a bit further down the track, and this fella, get in lads, get in, chuck his stuff in the back and hop in the back of the dual cab with this dude, also known as uh, Larry Seven Kids. You can find a lot out about a bloke if he drives slow and talks fast. And that was Larry. You fellas just got off a boat. Larry leant over the steering wheel, feeding it around the corners. Yeah, we uh, we just come down from Darwin. Fucking hell, bit of a trip. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Bloody brilliant. What now? Get get some work. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely looking for work. We've barely got any money. It was Friday as well, and um, we couldn't get into the banks, and we pretty much had zero cash. We had like 20 bucks each, something. And our remaining funds were sitting in the bank. If I had any work, Larry said, I'd throw it your way, but we've got two shit shovelers already. Shit shovelers? Yeah, stable ends. Um, I'm a horse trainer. Ron and me. And he pointed to his guy riding shotgun who grinned us. Then he, he said, uh, 
you blokes got wives back home? Pommyland or what? And we told him the old, uh, yeah, we told the wives we were just nipping out for a loaf of bread and just kept riding. He's laughing. Fucking hell, I got six kids, me. Two of my first, one of my second, three, well, not four. Hang on. Bloody hell, I got seven kids. <laughs> this realization that <laughs> he has got an extra kid. Poor kid. When we reached the, the town, Larry pulled over and we grabbed our packs. I've got a horse running in Saturday's race, Larry shouted out the window. He's called Bowdam. He's going to win. Stick some money on him. I'm telling you, he's going to win. Brian and me wandered around Broome waiting for a plant to materialise. We'd asked the guy if he knew where the bank was, this tradie. Sat on his esky outside uh, some shop he was doing up with his mates. And I said, oh, excuse me, do you know where the bank is? Just on the off chance it might be open. And uh, he said, yep, yep, I do. <laughs> Left it out. <laughs> it set the vibe straight away. Oh, um, but yeah, it showed us where the bank was and we'd missed it. So, must have been like, I can't remember, maybe it shut up. It's either a Friday, it must have been a Friday, and it had shut early, shut at lunch or something. Um, so we're wandering around town, and we'd made a pact that we'd ask just about anybody we came across if they knew of any work going. Outside Woolworths, I saw a gardener under the canopy of a rhododendron brush. So I crawled under. He was lost in his work in his little sanctuary when I appeared next to him and he staggered back, holding his chest. Fucking hell, mate, where'd you spring from? Sorry, bud, uh, I'm looking for work. Do you need anyone? Jeez, you'd be keen looking in the bushes, wouldn't you? <laughs> he gave me a card of someone who might have some work going. I left him to his I left him to his pruning and climbed back out into the sun. Bray came out of Woolworths with a bag full of crazy prices. We wandered on toward the campsite at Roebuck Bay. No one official looking was around, so we threw up our tent in a quiet corner, hoping to go unnoticed for a few days. We didn't have a key for the shower block, but if you timed it right, you could follow someone in. And if that failed, the ocean was only over the fence. People were swimming despite the mangroves and the signs warning about estuarine crocodiles. We swam too, but always turned back before the mangroves. Having seen so many crocs just up the coast in the Kimberley, it seemed insane to be splashing about in the mangroves. The, um... Roebuck Bay, there was a cool thing that happened, I think it was every month. They called it Staircase to the Moon, and because the tides ran out so far, as the moon was rising over the ocean, you could... The sandbar made like... As the sandbar went out, it had like steps in it, like um, different lines in it, and it looked like steps with the shadows between the different sand levels. So it looked like a staircase to the moon. That was sick. And the mozzies there, geez, they were like someone was throwing darts in your hand if you went out at night, as the sun was setting. The other thing that freaked us out was um, 
I'd looked at YouTube recently and I googled um, Cable Beach and there's this humongous saltwater crocodile just floating offshore. I felt sick in the guts because um, when we were there, we'd told some guys about the chances of getting yacht rides through the Kimberley and um, I was helping this guy get a ride and there was a boat out to sea who wanted someone. So we uh, we just swam out to him and we got caught in these big currents, like the big seven knot currents. And we were just drifting past this guy and he had to come out and save us in this little dinghy. But uh, yeah, there's no way I'd swim out there now knowing... And there's no way I'd swim out a kilometre out to sea now in uh, anywhere in Australia, to be fair. Swim parallel to the beach, but not straight out to sea. <laughs> Back at the tent, Singaporean ants were into everything. The bread, the honey, the milk. I strung up a line to, in a tree to store our food and sat amongst the roots, looking up through the foliage at an endless blue sky. I was thinking about my family. I miss them, especially my sis, Jude. I walked down to push for a stand, hoping I might have a letter from her, but they must have been lying unread somewhere else. The only letter I got was from Dick Smith, telling my bike had got stolen from the hostel by some con men, and he was sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Damn it. I love that bike. The flaps on the tent door fanned over Bry's brown feet. Bry loved his sleep. I was leant up against my favourite tree coming round to the day, watching the ants again, tight rope back and forth along the washing line I'd put up, making off of our food. Larry, seven kids and Bodan were lost. Our minds were elsewhere, work and money, and blowing our last 50 bucks at the races was ridiculous. We still ain't got money from the bank. And it was actually my birthday. And Bry's was a couple of days later. Geez, a whale just jumped. The races were due to start. Time was running out and we were letting it go. That was until Kate hung her head out of her old, of her boyfriend's old Falcon muscle car. You blokes want to lift the races, you better get in. We told her and her boyfriend about the race last night and they'd shared some fish with us. Hubby was asleep, but Kate crunched through the gears of his car. We left the highway down a track that took us to Cable Beach. She did a handbrake turn on the sand. Swung open the door and ran into the beach. Quick zing jump, then back in the car, her wet clothes, dripping. Geez, that was fresh, all right. Right, now, the races. Through the turnstile, the rich smell of soil where hooves ripped through the turf, horse sweat and dry hay, blended with horse poop, perfume and soap. Women in bright dresses and blokes in suits. Bookies in big hats wave their arms and hands around. Chalk scratched on boards. Odds changed. Four or five bell-bottom baby white star two to one. 
There's a welcome change from the smoky betting shops from back in Yorkshire. Bryce seemed to know the score. I mean, the back pages of his old man's newspaper were always out and circled. I stood back away, wondering what was going on, until one of the fast-talking bookies in the big hat took my money and gave me a slip. Larry's seven kids walked Bodan around the paddock. Bodan was muscled but lean, a loaded spring, shining jet black from his own sweat, wearing out the hard standing with his hooves, straining his neck against the reins, eyeing the crowd from the corner of his bloodshot whites. I tried to keep track of the start of the race, but I was smothered in distractions, and when I found Bodan, the horses were already approaching the first corner. And it's a close one, neck and neck. Bodan and Gypsy Romas. Bodan is in the lead. Gypsy Romas pushing forward. Bellbottom Baby in third. Gypsy Roses by ahead. Gypsy Romas, Bodan, Bellbottom Baby. Oh, it's neck and neck. It's looking like Gypsy Rome. Bodan is pushing forward. Gypsy Romas, Bodan is close. Composure was lost on the home straight. People were swearing, waving arms. Stood like statues, pumping fists, biting lips, holding breath. A fat bloke rolled up his newspaper and slapped himself across the arse. Gypsy Ramas, Bodan, Midnight Star, King Ramper, Balls of Steel, Man with a Plan. Bodan was stride for stride with Gypsy Roma. The rest out of the running, it was too close. Gypsy Roma looked to be in front, then Bodan. As they hit the finish, I looked down. Bodan was just behind. My heart sank. It's one of those few times that I thought everything might work out. Not really real life. All this look, hitching up with Larry and Kate. Bread sandwiches for dinner, and it was the day of my 28th birthday. Bry told me to hang on. He said, sometimes the angle from the stand could be deceiving. The, comment, the commentator announced that it would be a photo finish decision, and we would know the winner shortly. It's like a cliche in an old film. And the wait was an agony. Brimey stayed perfectly still in the stand, as if any sudden movement might scare away any chance we had of winning. The potential winners split in two, hummed and whispered. Time rusted over. Finally, someone blew into a microphone. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a result. The winner is... Bowden! Yeah! In that moment, we were loaded. We were rich. Well, <laughs> we had like three hundred dollars or something each, but it was so relative. It's like money. <laughs> Draft a fucking moon. Okay, well, here we are again. Um, we only had a few hundred dollars. Hang on. We're stoked. I need to get in the vibe. It's Bodan, Bodan, Bodan. I can't believe it. We won. Bloody hell. With our few hundred dollars winnings, we were relatively loaded. Back in town, there was a carnival happening. The place is going off. The street was alive with performers doing like um, thong dancers, like slapping... Lots of slapping around with thongs and uh, to call, and whips <laughs> to form a tune. That is flip-flops. Um, a wheelie beam was converted into a mobile drum kit. 
There were costumes, acrobats, fireworks, lanterns. And in amongst all this, we met Ant. He was on walkabout around town. He wanted to come with us to see the band Desert Child play in the Roebuck Bay Hotel. Problem was, he was wearing his pink sarong and he had no shoes. Ant walked around the back of the hostel, checking out people's doorways for a pair of sandals he could borrow. But he had pretty big feet. <laughs> he couldn't find any. Looking all over the place. Finally, he found a solitary sandal that fit him. So he wrapped his other foot in toilet paper and hobbled past the bouncers, telling them that he stood on a stonefish. <laughs> the band was tight, and they even played Sir Psycho Sexy by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which I couldn't believe they played the entire song. It was wicked just to get on the dance floor and hit that. Um... Ant was jumping up and down on his toilet papered foot that was now trailing across the dance floor. And he had like, <laughs> he had a pink singlet and his pink sarong and his mop of curly hair and he's bopping around with his toilet paper trailing off his foot. And um, yeah, he got kicked out. I don't think Ant minded that much. He wandered back out to the Funky Turtle where he could light a spliff and strum his guitar. There wasn't a dress code on the Funky Turtle, and the breeze kept the mosquitoes away. Muffy was actually still living on his cat. He was trying desperately to get her to leave. Ant, like the rest, wanted space, but Muffy wanted a free place to sleep. During their voyage, she had more than hinted that they should take the opportunity for the isolation and practice sexual intercourse. But Ant was adamant that it would ruin a good friendship. Truth was, he didn't fancy her, and he had a girlfriend back in Tanzania. A beautiful native girl. And now he had the opportunity to go back there with Dave, because Dave was heading across from um, Western Australia to the Seychelles, I think Madagascar, across that way, and then up the coast. I'm not sure his, his exact route. All Ant needed to do to be able to follow Dave was let go of the imaginary ropes that hold most of us. But I reckon Ant had let go of them about the same time he stopped wearing shoes. It's so true in when you're back in civilization, would you call it that? <laughs> when, when you're back with your security of a job and your life and everything else, and I'm not knocking that because um, I love that now. But it's like um, when you travel, I don't know, when you're a kid, you go for a bike ride and you go down a big hill or walk down a big hill and you know you've got to go back up that hill to get home. But when you travel, you just keep going. You don't have to go back. And you're just getting into it. Like you go away for a holiday for two weeks and you're just getting into it. And then there's like this big chain pulling you back. It's like a gravity force that pulls you back to your old life. Whereas when you're traveling, it's like you've severed all those ties and you just, you're drifting and you're able to just go anywhere. Like imagine if you're on holiday and a guy goes, oh, do you want to come to Africa? You'd probably say, oh yeah, uh, when, can we plan it? Can, we, can I have to talk to the bosses at work? But in this instance, Ant's like, yeah, fuck it. Let's go. And like, he put his 
cat up for sale. Just that spontaneity. Fantastic. Jesus is Lord. The shadow read backwards where the streetlight projected Jesus is Lord onto the nicotine-yellowed ceiling of Desha's van. A huddle of blowflies congregated, slurping and cleaning themselves. It's fucking gross. And if you don't know what a blowfly is, it can actually lay... How most flies lay eggs on dead stuff. Um, blowflies lay maggots straight out. <laughs> I know a story of a guy who was um, eating a rabbit drumstick and uh, he's a big animal of a guy and he's gone to work he's got this rabbit drumstick and he's just stuffing him in his gob as he's driving his big muscle car through uh, Western Australia and then he felt his mouth wriggling Yeah, so you get paranoid with blowflies. But there's a huddle of them on Desha's uh, van ceiling. Jesus is Lord was written on Desha's van when he had bought it. He was going to remove it, but then Christians started helping him out. So he went, oh, fuck it. Oh, fuck it. Let's keep it. You know. Earlier on that night, he started a fight with a campsite owner or the manager at uh, Roebuck Bay, which was a pain for us because we were trying to stay incognito because we hadn't actually fessed up to pain yet. And uh, there's him and this campsite manager having a rumble. And Desh was the sort of guy who just rubbed everyone up the wrong way, just personality clashes. And he's rolling around on the <laughs> in the dirt with this campsite guy. Oh, fuck, it's a mess. They were He was drunk too. Dash, Dash said to me, after he got up, this campsite guy, you fuck off, get the fuck out of here. So I'm in this van, and I sort of got roped in with these guys. It's a long story, but you'll get there. Um, and I didn't want to be with this guy, he was a dick. But uh, <laughs> I couldn't get out of the van because the campsite guy had seen me going back to my tent. Bri was asleep. Um, and... Dash goes, oh, fuck it, come on, we'll go around here. So we drove around the back to this um, toilet block where there was a street light. He got the little cooker out and he's trying to cook us these fish. Melinda, get the bloody potatoes. Our low, our low profile on the campsite was close to being broken. Dash had rolled around in the mud with the campsite manager. And although Dash was young and nasty, campsite man was tough for an old digger. There was a ruffle standoff. Campsite man got his breath back. Take that van and your disciples and fuck off. Fuck you, asshole. The day went south at breakfast. I was looking over the Indian Ocean when Ant rode ashore on his tinny. Richo, got a few backslappers interested in sailing for the day. I need a second mate. You're the man, Richo. It sounded like fun. And I like sailing with Ant. It was Desha's birthday and he wanted to go on a fishing trip on the Funky Turtle with his travelling companions, Melinda, Paul A and Paul B. Desh was a scrawny guy with a bone head and a face that showed no light. He spoke to his travelling companions like dogs. I couldn't understand why they had hooked up with him. 
I think it was purely because he had wheels. After drinking too much beer, the four staggered around on deck. Limbs got too close to the propeller. Fishing hooks whipped through the air dangerously close to eyeballs. It was a fucking mess. You drunk idiots. Staggering around on deck. I'd first spotted Desh in the last resort backpacker's car park. And his head was like engulfed in flames. He'd like forcefully borrowed this um, this guy's um, fire sticks and he was trying to show him how to breathe fire. Obviously he didn't fucking know how to. Uh, <laughs> he was in a... Desh was in a good mood when we sailed back into Robot Bay, happy with the two yellow stripies that Ant had caught for him. I rode back and forth from the fun- Funky Turtle, ferrying the gang of four onto the beach. Desh was last off. It was low tide. So we had to walk almost a kilometre over the soft sand. It was pitch black, streetlights, tiny sparkling specks weighing the distance. Desh had hold of Ant's oil lamp and he swung it around in front of him, pointing at any suspicious shadows on the sand. What the fuck's that? Whoa, my feet are sinking. Ah, I cut my fucking foot. I can't stand on what's under my feet. I don't want to die. Die like my sister. Fuck. Yeah, Desh was so screwed up. His sister had actually been killed by a boyfriend in Tasmania. And he was a mess. Like, I don't know what to do but sympathise with him and try to distract, distract him from his fears. He had that kind of angry ant type of syndrome, you know, like um, angry as fuck at a lot of stuff, but scared as fuck at the same time, which just pretty much says that he's got a lot of fear inside him. So he gets his bulldog on to try and uh, mask it. The trick was to walk slow and steady with the razor shells. And they're like an extended oyster shell, or mussel shell actually. Like an extended mussel shell. And they're like an open mouth, and if you step heavy, you can cut all your feet up on them. The trick was to walk slow and steady. Look at the bioluminescence dash. I swept my foot over the sand and it lit up blue. Trippy, eh? Dash held the lamp high, illuminating a shape a couple of metres up ahead. Fuck the bioluminescence, what the fuck is that? A sea snake slithered across the sand. Sea snakes are venomous, highly venomous, but they're like this, these were, they weren't the banded ones, like the black and white ones you see up around Fiji and the um, South Pacific. These were... On the other side, these were like a brown, a beige and dark brown one. We once caught one on the, uh, by accident, we foul hooked it and we had to get it off the line. So we uh, we snagged it through its skin and Dave said, oh, we can't lose the lure. So he actually carefully got his hook back out of this sea snake. But it's very hard to get bitten by these because they have the fangs apparently set back in the mouths. We're going to die. I knew it. We're going to die. Sea snakes are pretty docile. Fatalities are rare. He wasn't heading that way. It might have been a different story if someone had stood on him, though. Desh's friends had walked ahead without a lamp, stumbling in the dark, and footprints ran either side of the snake. (laughs) 
The fight with campsite man had put Dash back a couple of hours. It was midnight before Dash dished up his fish. Apparently he's a, he was a chef and it had to be perfect. It's a lot of fuss for not much more than boiled fish. And he'd forgotten to scrape the scales off so I spat them out when he wasn't looking. Dash wasn't bad on guitar so I let him fish up the strings in exchange for a talk of his spliff. I didn't totally dislike Dash, but for sure I didn't trust him. Dash started asking me about the funky turtle. Where did Aunt Mori at night and what was the best time to catch Aunt on the cat? He said all he had to do was sell the van and he could buy the cat and sail away through the Kimberley, maybe even Indonesia. Dash was drifting. His van was only worth a few hundred bucks and he couldn't sail or navigate. He'd fucking kill himself for sure. My advice to learn to sail first was ignored. His eyes glazed while his mind turned over. I prized my guitar out from Desha's fingers. Got a crash, Desha. I'll uh, see you later. I made past my tent, doubling back when I saw Desh turn his back to climb a tree in the park. His slaves lay around the place, wasted. I sneaked back into the tent, blowing at the relief of getting away from him. Moonlight Bay One day Bri disappeared. When he came home he was covered in paint and had a big smile on his face. He had work, but even better, he'd got me a job as well. I didn't even know he could paint. He said he couldn't, but he was learning. We got up with the sun and worked until it got dark, working on a new wing of the Moonlight Bay Hotel. I was cleaner and furniture removal man and Bry was under instruction from two ex-painters from Nottingham, Tony and Johnny Singh, as their pseudonyms were. They loved being up here in the sun, working by a turquoise Indian Ocean that ran out, leaving the mangroves to pop and blow. Sometimes after work, Johnny would invite us back to his room for a smoke. Trouble was, Johnny loved his hydro. I reckon he got more of a buzz watching Brian and me fall apart from the effects. That was a thing, like, the stuff he had was just way too strong. I think it's the stuff that can send you into psychosis rather than the, just the standard bushweed. Um, I couldn't put my glass back on the table. I wanted to, but my arms wouldn't let me. Johnny told me that if I was to put it on the table, the whole table would shatter. We emptied Johnny's fridge and we were feeling almost normal again until Johnny came out from the bathroom with a towel round his head telling us he was a Sikh extremist on the run from his wife who used to be the shot put champion of West Bengal. <laughs> he, was <a> cra <laughs> he was a crazy guy. Later, when we felt we could face the world outside, we headed back to camp. But Bri looked over his shoulder. Two guys were following us. We started walking faster. They started walking faster. Fuck. We're looking up and down the street earlier, and it's just got that sort of surrealness about it, like, like you've popped into another world. Looking up and down the orange street, going, whoa, what's, um, where are we? What? Oh. <laughs> totally wasted. Uh, 
these two dudes start walking faster. More people appeared behind us. There were more and more, until there was like 12 people behind us. We realized they were speed walkers, really serious with stern faces doing the hip wiggle, and they didn't appreciate our laughing. But then we became serious ourselves. Suddenly we couldn't let them pass. We had to beat them. <laughs> they were about to overtake us and ready to give us the smug looks when we turned off to the campsite and our unofficial finish line. Brian May congratulated ourselves. Yeah, we did it right. We did it. <laughs> An old guy stepped out of his caravan with a towel over his shoulder, so we followed him. There were three shower cubicles in the block. Bri went in one and I the other. The walk felt good, washed away a day's work, and was shocking us back toward reality. I needed the shampoo, so I called the Bri to lob it over. Okay, he said. There you go, mate. But no shampoo appeared. I waited a while and asked again. Yeah, it's over! I told him to stop pissing around, aware that the old guy would be tuning in. The poor old fella never said a word as he tried to get dressed in his cubicle, stepping around the bottle of shampoo that had exploded at his feet. Sorry, old fella. Sleep was nearly over, my eyes opening and closing, giving my brain a chance to catch up. The light filtered through into the dome of our tent. I would soon be on my hands and knees, scrubbing grout off tiles. The owners, a middle-aged couple at the Moonlight Bay, were great, and I swear we could have said anything to them as long as we did it in our quaint Yorkshire accents. Bri was almost getting the hang of painting. He enjoyed it. Great for meditation. Covered in aqua blue gloss, fucking up his cutting in. He was sat down on a step, but I knew he'd be travelling inside. In a jungle, picking leeches off his legs and wringing blood out of his socks, slipping through a bamboo bridge on his bike sitting down with a gang of Indonesians to eat at dinner. I had little opportunity to think. I spent my days talking shit with Flick. On my second day at Moonlight Bay, Flick arrived on a pushbike, asking, Is it any work, gang? I was a bit guarded. There was only a couple of weeks' work here at most. I don't know. I don't think so. Ask the boss. When Flick came out of the office, he leant his bike against the wall of took off his shirt, did a little flex and jumped back in the truck I was unloading. Let's get on with it, mate, he said, just like that. Flick was from the south of England, from a rich suburb of the capital, probably Oxford somewhere. I was from a working-class family in the north where, according to Flick, all people did was work in coal mines and race pigeons and whippets. Despite this, we both laughed at life, and somewhere in the middle we were from the same tree. Flick was in love, and when things went silent, I knew he'd be in the bathroom, marvelling at himself in the mirror. When two maids from the hotel walked along the balcony, Flick walked out into the sunshine and pumped out his chest. Excuse me, ladies. He flicked his head back. His blonde locks whipped in the air and fell back over his brow. Could you spare another cigarette? I'd be mean to get some, but... In Flick's eyes, the whole world was here to serve him. And from what I'd seen, it did. <laughs> he was a cheeky bastard. It would have been easy to dislike Flick, but there was a good heart buried down there somewhere. He always had an edge of optimism in his voice which made me smile. 
Flick looked out through his fringe at me, with both on our hands and knees scrubbing the tiles. Hey, Whippet, can you rinse us this sponge? While I was wringing it out, Flick started laughing. The fading of his hangover was bringing back memories of last night. Oh, fuck, you wouldn't believe it last night, Whippet. I was sleeping in bed at the hostel, and this Canadian bird appears on the end of my bed, asking me to come out for some drinks with her. I said, no, I was tired. She kept on, man. Please, please. I said, look, okay. I took her out the back of the hostel, bent her over the back of some guy's motorbike, and gave her a good scene too. Then I told her I had to go. I came back, showered, then party fucking party at the club. I came out of the place, fuck whip it, I was on my hands and knees, I was absolutely plastered. I managed to get to my feet, when I looked around, some other tap from the hostel is behind me, and led me down to the playing fields. She lay me down, ripped my clothes off, and I was out of it, spread eagle and getting bitten by mosquitoes, while this chick's attacking me. After work, Flick asked me if I could give him a hand moving from the last resort to our campsite, so my, me and Bri went with him. Camping meant more money to spend on beers, and besides, the girls at the hostel were becoming a pest and fucking up his chances with new arrivals. He'd charmed a tent off a girl who was stuck on him, and we headed out. He was a bit of a James Bond character. Like, <laughs> 150% confidence. As we were struggling out from the hostel, with Flick's full wardrobe of designer gear, a car pulled up and Flick knocked on his window. Listen, man, don't mean to be a cheek, but I have a big bag, and I wondered, any chance of a ride to Roebuck Bay campsite? On the drive out to Roebuck Bay, the guy told us this wasn't his car. It was a hire car. His own car was down on the beach. Beautiful land cruiser, which would have been cool but the beach was now 20 foot under the Indian Ocean. He seemed to choke up a bit too when he talked about that bit. He said, looking through the water at his car, his pride and joy. Oh, tough fucking look, eh? Anyway, yeah, just up here. Turn left. I saw an overloaded woman with long dark hair struggling down the beach toward me with her bags. She was dropping and picking up shoes and stuff. It was Muffy and she looked a bit dejected. Aunt had asked her to leave the cat. Enough was enough. She came onto the campsite without paying and pitched a tent right next to ours. <laughs> she totally blew our cover. When we woke up the following morning, campsite man was shaking our tent violently. Open the bloody tent or I'll rip it down with you inside it. <laughs> we poked our heads through the door to face the music. How long you been here? Um, a couple of days. We've been meaning to come up and see you. Do we pay at the end of each week? <laughs> I must have made for a convincing idiot. You men to pay in advance. Report to the office. Before setting camp. Can't you read? I shall kick you off. Too much shit. Too many people trying to cover. get one over on me. But if you come up right now and sort it out, you can stay. Right, boss, we'll be up in five. Right now! <laughs> Campsite man's face was reddening. <laughs> I didn't see Ant for a few days, and when I did see him, he was leaving for Africa. 
he decided to sail with Dave and Gus across the Indian Ocean back to see his girlfriend. He sold his catamaran in the, in the same day to a guy called Bart for 7000 Australian dollars. Desh was going on a trip too. He bought a tinny and when Bart left for town, Desh motored out to the Funky Turtle and stole all the navigational equipment. Fucking snake. On our last night in Broome, it just felt like time to leave. We had some cash and the bride was calling. Bry's friend at the Moonlight Bay had let us stay in one of the rooms that night. I was flaked out on the floor when Corrie came on drunk. When I opened my eyes, she stood over me. She said I wasn't allowed to sleep when she was around. I had to get up and party with her. She had a violent, possessive boyfriend. I just wanted to close my eyes to it all. And I was drifting, but a foot in my ribs jumped me out of my sleep. It was Corrie again, pushing a cup of hot chocolate in my face. It would help me sleep, she said. What the fuck? <laughs> Are you awake? <laughs> when people wake you up and ask you if you're asleep. It's like, what the uh, I drank it and closed my eyes. I got pinged awake at 4 a.m. Open my eyes and I'm completely tripping. Everyone else is sound asleep. Bloody slipped a Mickey in my hot chocolate. Broom time was hard to give up. It, it would have been easy to settle in this amazing place. And it was hard to leave, but temperaneness can be romantic and sometimes a lot safer than sticking around. The receptionist from Moonlight Bay had dropped by me at the start of the Great Northern Highway 16 hours ago. Perth was only two and a half thousand kilometers away. We were like two fleas stood on the corner of this massive continent, thumbs out, pointing at the ground with our index fingers, which is the Australian hitching technique, um, smiling, waving, falling to our knees and begging, but not one car stopped for us. We had so much gear. We had like all our panty bags. I had a guitar. When you piled them all up in the middle, it just looked like too much stuff. We had the tent, and there was two of us. And 30 yards away at the server, road trains were heading south. And you guys probably know by now what road trains are. Literally, as they sound, just more than two trailers. They're like um, multiple trailers. Take ages to stop to. And they just barrel their way through the uh, outback, transporting goods. 30 yards away at the server, road trains were heading south. We might have scored a lift, but there was a young, erratic hitcher. He was a bit loopy. When the trucks pulled in, he ran urgently across the tarmac, scrambled up to the, up the cab and poked his head through the windows. I'm not sure what he said, but they just all shook their heads and quickly wound up the windows. Nah, mate, nah, nah. <laughs> and he kind of glued himself to us by association, by standing next to us. They just all assumed we were all of the same blend. 
The day was winding down. The flies traded shifts with the mosquitoes. The trees turned black and lost definition from one another. But wherever we went, this young lad followed. He'd ask reasonable questions, but they were continuous and unaffected by our replies. Where you go? Perth, I told him. Then where? Esperance? Then where? Albany? Then where? Adelaide? Then where? Where are you going, Bri asked. Dunno. I went to Perth once. It rained, and I found ten dollars. Do you guys know Mr. Butterworth? We put up our tent and hid inside. You got any spare sleeping bags? The young lad said. His face pressed up against a mosquito netting. The noise of the traffic walkers. Brian zipped the tent. I expected the poor kid to be laid outside sparkling with dew. But he'd gone. We made a deal that since we had so much gear between us, eight pannier bags, a guitar, tent and sleeping bags, we might have to split up and meet again in Perth. Brian nipped off to the servo for two cartons of milk. As he walked away, I called after him. I'll see you in Perth, Bri. Yeah, right. <laughs> Bri laughed. I'll see you in five minutes. The land cruiser pulled in the second Bri rounded the corner. I smiled, greeting the driver and his wife, and rushed to get my bags before they changed their minds. When I opened the back door, two dogs were sat in the back seat, growling. I offered the back of my hand and got in. Sorry, Bri. <laughs> when Bri came back from the shop, I could just picture his face. Holding two cartons of milk. Um, Rich? 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 I was gone. <laughs>